It is NFL Sunday, and we are recording Mama Mystery. I'm the co-host, Austin. And I am your host, Kelly. And here we are. Kick off. NFL Sunday, my favorite day. My favorite day. There's nothing I love more than a good NFL Sunday. Yep, same. Big same. Snooze fest. Anyway, so let's go ahead and just dive right in, shall we? Yeah, because we got the game starting soon. Yeah, oh yeah. We're in a huge rush for that. So the other day at work... Austin, Morgan and Romeo and I were watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Have you seen it with Jessica Biel? That's going to be good now. <laughs> so we'd like to keep it light at the salon where people come to relax and un- unwind. So you watch killer shows? <laughs> so we watched this horror film. But anyway. You guys I- are the opposite of a relaxing salon. <laughs> you know, half the time I walk in there and you got some bullshit on the TV. The other half the time there's some screaming baby in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's eventful, but we keep it fun. No doubt. You can definitely say it's fun. But anyway, at the beginning of the movie, it had one of those disclaimers that said something like, it was based on true events, right? And both Morgan and Romeo believed that this movie was based on a true story. I was a little more skeptical, however, saying that usually that just means it was like inspired by events that could have been a dream or an over-exaggerated story. Um, Because that's usually how that stuff goes. But once I started researching a little more, I was able to find exactly who this movie was really inspired by. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre, along with other movies like Psycho and Silence of the Lambs, all have characters who were inspired by one real-life man, and his name was Ed Gein. What a freak. So that is who we're talking about today. Um, I really wanted to make a point to record this during the day because this is the one you told me we're not. Austin. Yeah, you told me don't record this one at night because I'll be one of the house scared. (laughs) Yes. Got it. Yeah, so that's why we're recording. um, Keep a keep a pistol on my hip with my pajamas, with my silk pajamas I wear every night. (laughs) I realize I just said we're recording this before lunch. You might not have an appetite after this episode. Me? Yeah. That's okay. i got to go to the gym and watch football. Okay. So Edward Theodore Gein was born on August 27th of 1906 in La Crosse County, Wisconsin. His parents, George and Augusta, had a very volatile marriage, as we often see in these situations. Augusta, his mother, was this, like, big domineering kind of intimidating woman and she was in she was raised with very strict lutheran values and she went on to impose those strict values on her sons she married george gein who was an alcoholic and had a hard time keeping up a, a job he worked as a carpenter a tanner an insurance salesman at one point they owned a grocery store so he worked there Um, But they eventually sold the grocery store and took their family to live on a 155-acre farm in the town of Plainfield, Wisconsin. So So they probably did pretty well. I mean, maybe back in, you know... Early 1900s, they bought 155 acres? Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, yeah, you have to remember, though, back then, acreage was like pennies. It wasn't as expensive as it is Wages were, too, though. Well, that's besides the point. They caught 155 <laughs> acres. Keep reading. Talking, telling me. So 
anyway, moving out to this like isolated farm was music to Augusta's ears because it allowed her to isolate her sons and protect them from outside influences, which sounds eerily familiar to our last episode, which was the wife swap murders. Or I told a story also. Right. I think only Patreons heard that. I think you're right. So if you want to hear me tell a spooky little mystery, sign up. It's not a mystery. It's very, very real. Yeah. So anyway, um, Augusta, she would preach to her boys about the corruption of the outside world, the evils of drinking, which was ironic since her husband was an alcoholic. And she told her sons that all the women in the world were innately promiscuous, except for her, of course. But women were just bad, except for her. Right. The boys did attend school, and that's like really the only time they were ever allowed outside of the farm. But Edward, particularly, would be punished at home if he made any friends at school. So if he ever talked about making friends or showed any interest in that, Augusta would essentially, yeah, like berate him, punish him. Yeah. So he remained very shy and introverted, and he was socially awkward, often laughing at inopportune times. But he did well grade-wise, and he excelled in reading he was just kind of shy and awkward. What's that remind you of? Me. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, you weirdo. It reminds me of the Joker. Oh. Oh, my gosh, you. You're not shy and awkward. Oh, I think I'm awkward. But Come that's okay. on, quit the negative self-talk. Anyway, so at home, Augusta and George's relationship grew to be more and more violent, with George physically abusing Augusta in these drunken rages and Augusta verbally abusing him in front of their kids and in public, so they were just a nightmare. Ed grew to be closest to his mom, which really doesn't come as any surprise to me, considering how sheltered she kept him and how much she showed her disdain for their father, and it seemed like a very polarizing household. But the relationship between Ed and his mom really seemed to borderline what is appropriate for a mother and son. So on April 1st of 1940, Ed's dad died from heart failure, likely caused by his alcohol abuse. And so to help out at home, Ed and his brother Henry started doing odd jobs around town. So both boys had good reputations for being reliable and handy. Ed babysat, which seemed to be his favorite job as he related to kids, but I can't help but wonder if at this point, being in his mid-30s, he related more to kids because he was so emotionally stunted by his mom. Kind of reminds me of, like, Michael Jackson in that way. Like, Michael Jackson, and this is, like, just a side tangent, but, like, related so much to kids, I think, because he didn't really have much of a childhood, or at least that's kind of what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Henry, however, uh, he started dating this divorced mother of two, which I'm sure Augusta was just thrilled about, and planned on moving in with her, leaving Ed to live alone with his mom, which I'm sure Ed and his mom probably loved that also. So Henry seemed to be a little more aware of Ed's relationship with their mom and recognized that it wasn't really a healthy relationship. It was kind of obsessive and controlling But Ed never saw it that way, and he was very defensive when it came to his mom. So when Henry suddenly died in 1944, questions eventually, but not immediately, arose as to his cause of death. So on May 16th of 1944, 
Henry and Ed were burning marsh vegeta vegetation on their property. And apparently the fire got out of control as it started getting closer to their home and the brothers separated to try to contain it. The fire department had to come and assist in putting the fire out. And once it was extinguished, extinguished, sorry, Henry was nowhere to be found. So he was reported missing and a search began for Henry. And when the police arrived to assist in the search, Ed happened to lead them directly to Henry's body. Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar as well. Dirty laundries. The Dirty Laundries episode, when the parents happened to just stumble upon their son. like. Has anything came of that? Side note, has anything came of that? No. <clears throat> There's nothing new to report on that story. Such BS. Okay, go ahead. So anyway, Henry was laying face down on the ground, and he was not touched by fire. The ground wasn't touched by the fire. He did have bruises on his head, but the coroner listed his cause of death at the time as asphyxiation, likely due to smoke inhalation. But I have to wonder in 1944 what the evidence of this would have been, given the advancements in science and medicine since then. But that is how they ruled it. It was just this accidental death, essentially. So at the time that this happened, nobody could have or would have believed that sweet, shy Ed would have any kind of malintent to harm his brother. So foul play was quickly ruled out, and now it's just Ed and Augusta alone in this house living together. But less than a year after Henry's death, Augusta suffered a series of strokes that ultimately took her life on December 29th of 1945. So now Ed is living alone in this big house, and this is when shit starts getting really weird. So since Ed didn't have any friends, he spent much of his time in his home reading about Nazis, South Sea headhunters, and shipwrecks. And from these articles, he learned about the process of shrinking heads, human anatomy, and the process of exhuming corpses from graves. What the hell? He became obsessed with these stories and would often recount these stories to the kids that he babysat, which is just wild. Can you imagine? Bizarre. So Ed also became intrigued by the obituary section of the newspaper, and he would scour the paper every day for recent deaths of local women. And his fascination and curiosity grew to the point where he would visit their graves every night and eventually started digging some of them up. He had never had a girlfriend, never spent any time casually or romantically with a woman other than his mother. So to satisfy his curiosity, he would spend time with dead ones. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just looking at you with big eyes. I don't know what else to say right there. So according to his biography, which is on True TV. Ed later admitted to police that he had never had intercourse with any of the bodies because they smelled too bad. What the hell? Why are we reading this? Why are we why are we doing this one? Because it was a request. By F and who? Lindsay. Lindsay Gomez. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Oh, it's just so, it's so bad. It's just so bad. People are going to be like, can't believe they left. One star. <laughs> Shout out to Lindsay. She's the one I met on Halloween. Thanks, Lindsay. 
So, anyway, um, he did not have intercourse with the bodies. He just spent time with them. And he just hang out with them, light candles, and hang out? Well, let me tell you. He spent time with them, and he would peel some of their skin from their bodies and wear it. And he... he I'm sorry. you got to stop laughing. <laughs> This is so effed. I'm so sorry. It's just, just so you guys know, so, so that way we absurd. don't have to feel to any type of way about this. Kelly has been on like a laughing tangent all day. Doesn't stop. Keeps I, laughing. I'm just blaming the baby on everything. Don't know why. Okay. So I guess he was just curious about it was about what it would be like to have breasts and a vagina. And he often dreamed about what it would be like to be a woman because he was just so fascinated by the control that women had over men. That's apparently his reason. So over time, he acquired a collection of body parts that he would display proudly in his room in his house. So one of the boys that he babysat actually came over one time and Ed showed the boy his collection of shriveled up heads and the boy told people about what he saw, but nobody believed him. Because sometimes reality is stranger than fiction. And everyone who thought the boy just had like a wild imagination. So, yeah, imagine him going home and saying, this guy just showed me he has shriveled up skulls. And it's like you would never think. Yeah, you would be like, maybe he just has a fascination with Halloween. And he or just he, likes yeah, shit. Or he's going, or they're, they're, but, but regardless, it's like you wouldn't think there were real heads no. that were dug up out of a grave. Right, and that he would just so flagrantly show him to people so mm-hmm. proudly. Yeah. So even later, when more people saw the preserved heads of women in his house, they thought it was just bizarre Halloween decor, literally. When people would see it, that's what they would think? Yes. They just thought, it was just weird decoration. I wonder where he got it. Okay. And the thing is, if he was digging up bodies and preserving their heads, nobody was actually missing. Like, if nobody knew when he was digging these people up and that these people were missing from their graves, then nobody's alarm bells would be going off, right? So I can see why, for a while, nobody was really connecting the dots. Like, Mm -hmm. because nobody's even missing. So I guess it kind of makes sense. But that all began to change, though, when Ed's interest spiraled from dead bodies to live ones. And the police in Wisconsin began to notice a pattern of missing people in the area. So eight-year-old Georgia Jean Weckler went missing when she was coming home from school on May 1st, which is May Day. Happy birthday. (laughs) That's your birthday. In 1947. A neighbor gave her a ride home from school and dropped her off at the end of her mile-long driveway, but not before Georgia told her neighbor that she was going to go into the woods and pick some flowers for her May Day basket. The neighbor watched Georgia as she collected the mail from their mailbox, but that was the last time Georgia was ever seen alive. Neither Georgia or the bundle of mail that she grabbed was ever found. Very little evidence turned up, and witnesses reported seeing a dark 1936 Ford sedan that afternoon, and tire tracks were discovered on the road that appeared as though the car was speeding off. And the driver was never identified, but later that year, Buford Sennett, um, a convicted rapist and murderer who had just started serving a life sentence, claimed that he was involved in her kidnapping and murder. Because he he just came out about it? Yeah, but the thing is, so this guy that came out and said he was involved, 
for some reason, maybe it's for notoriety or like street cred. They sometimes prisoners will admit to things that they didn't actually do just to give them notoriety and make their image appear bigger. I don't know. But he was never charged with her murder, and later he actually recanted his story. And unfortunately, nobody has ever been charged in her disappearance or murder because there was never enough evidence, and Georgia was never actually found. But Ed Gein was eventually considered a possible suspect. He was just never officially charged. Then six years later, another girl went missing from the area, and she was 15-year-old Evelyn Hartley. She was babysitting when she vanished, and her father repeatedly tried calling her at the house where she was working, but there was never any answer. So Evelyn's dad went straight to the house to look for her, but nobody came to the door. So he peers through the windows, saw her glasses on the floor and one of her shoes, then went around to the back of the house. Gosh, and that would be such a, like, like think as, as a parent, oh. what a, what a gut-wrenching feeling that would be like looking in a window for your daughter who's babysitting and her mm-hmm. shoe is on the ground and her glasses, like, yeah, oh, it'd it's be really terrible. Um, so when he looked through that window at the back of the house, it was an, it happened to be the only unlocked window. And it was through this window that he noticed blood stains and signs of a struggle. So when police arrived, they found a trail of blood through the grass, but it led to nothing, and Evelyn was never found. So there were multiple missing persons cases that came up that baffled police, but without a body or any other evidence, these victims just completely vanished, and people had nothing to go off of. Another victim was Mary Hogan, who owned a saloon in town. Gein shot her and dragged her body to his house on a sled. Nobody saw it happen. Nobody saw him take her home. So to everyone else, she just vanished. But he admitted to it later. So that's how we know he is the one that that killed her. Mm -hmm. But what finally tipped police off to Ed Gein and led to this, this discovery of his heinous collection of human remains was when Bernice Warden went missing on November 16th of 1957. So Bernice Warden owned a hardware store in Plainfield, Wisconsin. She was a 58-year-old widow, so her son, Frank, would often stop by at the hardware store to check on her and just keep her company. So on November 16th, Ed Gein went into the hardware store and robbed Bernice before he killed her and then took her body back to his house. A local resident reported that the store's truck was driven out of the lot around 9.30 a.m. Her son, Frank Warden, who happened to be a deputy sheriff, went to his mom's store around 5 p.m. and found the store empty with the cash register wide open and bloodstains on the floor. Barely anyone had been in the store that day because it was deer hunting season, so that might explain why no one else really noticed that something was wrong or amiss in the, in the store. But Frank remembered the night before, Ed had been in the store, and apparently Ed mentioned he was going to return the next morning to buy a gallon of antifreeze. So the morning Bernice disappeared, there was a receipt found on the counter for antifreeze, and it was the last receipt written. So investigators went to Ed Gein's property. Ed was there, but he was about to leave in his car. So they stopped him. They asked him some questions, and they just weren't satisfied with the way he was answering the questions. So they went into his house. 
And when they walked into Ed's house, the first thing to greet them was the stench of filth and decomposition. Rotting garbage covered the floors and the countertops. The local sheriff, Arthur Schley, walked into the kitchen, guided by the light of his flashlight, and he felt something brush against his arm. At first he thought it was like a deer hanging from the ceiling, because after all, like I said, it's hunting season. It's not uncommon to see deer, like, undressed, although it is not common to see them undressed inside a home. However... Upon further investigation, he realized it was not a deer at all. It was his own deputy's mom, Bernice Warden. She had been decapitated and dressed like a deer, slid open and gutted, hanging from the ceiling, upside down. shit. Scattered around the house, the nightmare continued as the investigators realized they had entered essentially a death farm. Human skulls were being used as bowls, and decorations on the posts of his bed. Holy shit. Human skin was used as lampshades and chair covers. Face masks, like the one famously worn in Silence of the Lambs, uh, was made of, like, a human's facial skin. Socks made of human flesh. And a belt made of human nipples. Holy shit. Popularly known as... The nipple belt, which not suggesting any of you do this, but if you do happen to Google, you will find pictures of the nipple belt. I'm not Googling. Don't look at me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, just quite the fashion designer. He also built a suit made of women's flesh and told police that he wanted to become his dead mother. So there was, like, leggings, a corset made of a torso. I mean, it was like a full-ass suit. This is just weird. And this this busts through all barriers of weird. This is insane. Just absolute insanity. So police also discovered the face of Mary Hogan, which was the saloon owner that went missing three years prior. Ed admitted to them uh, that he had killed Mary and Bernice and told the police that he frequented the cemetery to exhume bodies and collect flesh and body parts. And police assumed that he was a necrophiliac, but he told them he never had intercourse with any of the bodies that he exhumed because they smelled bad. Um, And apparently the reason that he moved from collecting the skin of dead bodies to collecting the skin of new bodies is because he started to find that dead bodies' skin wasn't as moisturized, so it was, like, harder to sew through and and work with. Uh, so, Ed only admitted to killing Bernice and Mary, but he has been the suspect of many other disappearances that I mentioned earlier and more. He was charged with murder, but ultimately was found guilty by reason of insanity. He was deemed unfit to stand trial, and he was sent to the Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. But 10 years later, he was found fit to stand trial, and he was ultimately found guilty and sent to prison. But then that sentence was overturned because even though he was sane at the time of the trial or deemed sane, he was deemed insane at the time of the murder of Bernice. So he was acquitted and sent back to the Central State Hospital for the criminally insane, where he spent 
the rest of his natural life, dying at the age of 77 in 1984. 1984. That is not that long ago. Right. The superintendent of the mental hospital said, quote, if all of our patients were like him, we'd have no trouble at all, end quote. Ed was apparently a model patient and rarely displayed peculiarities other than when female staff would walk by his line of sight and he would just become fixated on them, staring them down. Creepy. And when he eventually died on July 26th of 1984, he was buried beside his mother in one of the cemeteries that he frequently robbed. Man, that takes like a freaking extreme weirdo to like, like when you picture him fixating on some woman in his sight and he's like picturing pulling their skin off and using their skull as a candy bowl and Mm -hmm. like it's just. And wearing it. It's just freaking weird. So, like that line, it puts the lotion on the skin. That's inspired by Ed Gein. I don't know what that line is, Kelly. Of course you don't. What is that line? It's from like Silence of the Lambs, and then it, and Joe Dirt. I don't is, watch scary movies. Well, do, have you ever seen Joe Dirt? You've seen Joe Dirt. I don't think so. Well, Joe Dirt runs into this guy who essentially is like a parody of Buffalo Bill, except I think he says his name is Bob. But anyway, he like keeps Joe in this big hole in his basement and he's like forcing Joe to put lotion on his skin because he's planning on taking his skin and wearing it. That's so weird. And it's all inspired by this real life person. This real life person. I just cannot I cannot believe that people like this have existed and continue to exist. I think of my own like like the psychology if you will. Okay. When I get fixated on something whether it's something at work and I really want to do it, or whether it's, you know, a hobby. You know, I, I start looking at something online like uh, jerseys or something, whatever it is, you know, and I get fixated on something, and it's like for a few days it'll be like what my mind thinks about a lot. I'm, I think everybody's like that, right? Yeah, like you really desperately want yeah. to wear Joe Montana, but his jersey, not his actual skin. <laughs> I, I, yeah, like I, I want to – so I'll get – like I'm just saying you think about – the way the human mind works and you get stuck on something, it's like, I really want that for a few days. This dude was fixated on body parts and people. Like, it's so freaking weird. And he was just like, you know, going around town. People interacted with him. He babysat children, showed children these body parts. And, like you gotta and think nobody believed these kids because it was that out there. You got to think when he's showing kids and showing people these body parts, he's proud of it. He's like, look, he's probably hoping somebody else gets into it with him so they can talk about it together. Yeah, so they can become besties and just collect bodies together. It's so I have nothing to say, but it's weird. And it's like, I don't know, like the fact that there's people like that out there, what the hell? Yeah, this just goes to show you how vast the range of, like, the human condition is, just Mm -hmm. how crazy people can get. I'll Mm -hmm. never understand what it's like to have that kind of mentality and be stuck in that. But the brain is just so fascinating because obviously there's a chemical imbalance here. And I I know part of it, too, is his upbringing. He He was brought up in, like, a really shitty situation. But, like... There's a lot of people that are brought up in shitty situations that don't go to cemeteries and collect bodies. So, like, what's the line? Imagine that. Imagine going to a cemetery and digging up a body. Like That would take forever. It would take forever. How and, like, how would you this? not get that? You'd have to go in, like, a back of some cemetery. Like, it's, oh. All I've said this whole episode is what the hell, and this is weird. But that's just all I have to say. Yeah. There's not really much to be gained from this uh, this episode. 
And it wasn't like a bunch of a mystery. They caught the dude pretty, I guess, not quick, really. Not quick. Yeah, he said he frequented the cemetery like at least 40 times. So, yeah, not not super quick. I guess it was quick when Bernice died. They were kind of on it when Bernice died. But he got away with a lot of shit before he finally messed up with Bernice. Mm -hmm. So... Anyway, that's all for today. Kelly with the mom, the murder history on Mama Mystery. Thanks, folks. Okay. Mama Mystery out. Bye.